You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. I think about guys like Jonah, and I think he would probably be one of the last guys you would ever have come speak at a conference. Yet he has associated with his ministry, if I can call it that, the greatest revival that could ever have been recorded at, in the known world at that time. I mean, think about it. They, they all get saved. And then when they do, he is just incensed. Many of us would find it hard to believe that God would use someone who deliberately disobeyed his instruction to enter into ministry. However, one of the greatest examples of this is none other than Jonah. In today's message, Pastor J.D. reflects on what is perhaps one of the greatest revivals to take place, even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 69 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. You know you've got a problem when you've got to take care of your God. No, think about this. You've got to pick your God up off the floor and set Him back up. That's your God? Wow. It gets better. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon <laughs> fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. Now, we got a little bit more detail here about what happened. So the head of Dagon and both the palms, <laughs> this is great, of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So the rest of the chapter goes on to talk about how that all of these tumors come upon them. And finally they're like, get this thing out of here. Okay, if you insist. And so that's how it ended up getting from there to back where it belongs. And David brings it back to Jerusalem. There's one more thing here I want to mention about Dagon. It is believed that Dagon was the same God that was worshipped by Nineveh, the Ninevites. And you have to understand something about the Ninevites. These were Ah, even the word evil and cruel and merciless doesn't even begin to describe who these people were. They would wait and stalk the Israelites, and they would attack at the end of the line the elderly, the infirmed, those who were weak, and they would capture them. I'm sorry, but... but this is what they did. I just want to give you an idea so you understand what happens when Jonah is sent there. And why, why it is, by the way, that Jonah doesn't want to go there. They would impale the Israelites and drag them 
and do, I mean, unspeakable horrors to them. That's what they would do to the Israelites. These are the, the people that now God is going to call Jonah to go to. I guess he could probably liken them to ISIS, for lack of a better comparison. That's how evil they were. And they would, they would just torture, I mean in the most evil way, the children of Israel. So now that goes, I think, a long ways in explaining why it is that Jonah wanted to go as far away. I mean, I, I'm not saying this, you know, to excuse, but maybe to explain Jonah's, you know, reluctance and resistance when God calls him and says, I want you to go <laughs> to, to that place where they take people like you and they impale them and they put these, you know, hooks in their face and they drag them and they torture them and they hang them upside down. And outside the, the city of Nineveh they would have all of the skeletal remains of all of those that they had tortured and killed, uh, just to say, so we're clear, you don't want to mess with us. And nobody did. They were the most feared people in all of the world at the time. So God calls Jonah, so I want you to go there, and I want you to tell them to repent. <laughs> you want me to go there to tell them to repent. Nah. No, you'll, you'll get there. I mean, you can try to run. And so he tries to run, of course. And he ends up on this ship, and then this perilous storm comes. You got to hand it to him. He knows that he's why that storm has hit because he knows he's running from God. He even tells them, you guys, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's me. You need to throw me overboard and the storm will cease. And so they throw him overboard and the storm ceases. And then he's of course swallowed up by a big fish. Some believe a whale, which they say is very plausible, that the belly of a whale is actually so large that a whale could swallow a man whole and a man could actually survive in what some think is a temperature of over a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. And the stomach acids would just be, I mean it would be hell in every sense of the word. And by the way, Jesus would even refer to Jonah as being in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights, like he would be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. That's hell. That's hell. He was in hell, running from God. So now, he's in this fish, and stay with me on this, okay? And he's relocated. <laughs> he was heading to Tarshish. He's relocated to Nineveh. He has an all-expense-paid submarine <laughs> sort of uh, trip to the beaches of Nineveh, and the fish barfs him out on the beach. Now think about this. They worship 
a God that is half man, half fish. And all of a sudden, they're at the beach one day, and here comes this fish that barfs out a man. What do you think they're thinking? <laughs> right? This is the God we worship. There's the fish. There's the man. It's Dagon. And he speaks. And what does he say? You know what's so fascinating to me about the account in Jonah, <laughs> with Jonah, pardon me, he does not give them any hope. If you really look at what he says, he doesn't say you need to repent. He doesn't want them to repent. When they do repent, he's mad at God that they did repent. Basically, here's what he says. In 40 days, basically that's the number of judgment, the number 40, God is going to torch you, and I can't wait. In fact, I'm going to go up here, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to watch God just fry you guys, man. What Jonah doesn't realize is that God, in His sovereignty, and in His infinite foreknowledge, knew that if He was barfed out of a big fish, as a man. And by the way, he's <laughs> he would have looked very scary, because those stomach acids in that fish would have bleached him completely white. Now, I, I don't know if he had long hair, probably a beard. Here comes this man, all white, out of this big fish. And they're looking at this guy, and he's telling them, you're toast. That's why they repent. Because to them, this is God telling them, you need to repent. Jonah didn't tell him. He didn't have to. God took care of that. And so they, you know, I, th I think about guys like Jonah, and I think he would probably be one of the last guys you would ever have come speak at a conference. Yet he has associated with his ministry, if I can call it that, the greatest revival that could ever have been recorded at, in the known world at that time. I mean, think about it. They, they all get saved. And then when they do, he is just incensed. And, and read the, oh, it's so good. I can't wait till we get to Jonah. Let's see. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Sol Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Oh wow, we got a while. Jonah's after Jonah. Yeah. Well, the rapture's going to happen before maybe. So, <laughs> well there we got it. We got a <laughs> we got our Jonah <laughs> study there. Psalm 69. This again is to the chief musician set to the lilies, apparently a well-known song at the time. And again, it's a psalm of David. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry 
My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. This is one of those Psalms, again a lengthy one, that needs to be read in its entirety. I think you'll see why in a moment. Verse 5, O God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. Let those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel. Because, verse 7, for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien, interesting, to my mother's children, because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, and I am the song of drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time, O God, in the multitude of your mercy. Hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire, and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me, and out of deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up, and let not the pit shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to the multitude of your tender mercies, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They also, verse 21, gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst... They gave me vinegar to drink. That might sound familiar, and for good reason. Verse 22, let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your wrathful anger take hold of them, Let their dwelling place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute the ones you have struck, and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. There's an interesting reference, and maybe I need just to comment on it very briefly. This is speaking of the book of life being blotted out of the book of life means that every name is written in 
the book of life, which is consistent with who God is. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me on this, because if every name is written in the Lamb's book of life, how does that name get blotted out of the Lamb's book of life? If someone rejects Jesus Christ as the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life, their name is blotted out. They do not have everlasting life. Not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But every name is written in there. Until the time of their death, it is appointed unto man once to die, the writer of Hebrews says, and then the judgment. And if that man, that woman, has not accepted the free gift of eternal life, paid for in full by Jesus the Christ, their name is blotted out of the Lamb's book of life. That's what this psalm is referring to. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But, verse 29, I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song, and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor, verse 33, and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. So, what is this psalm about? Well, it is a very interesting psalm for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it is both prophetic and messianic. It is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. When you understand it, and read it that way, then it all makes sense. It's a psalm about the suffering Savior, and it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, next to Psalm 22, which is the Messianic psalm, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament about Jesus the Christ coming as the suffering Savior. The psalm can be uh, divided, and we'll we'll bring it to a close. But I just want to mention a couple more things, and one very interesting quote. But the psalm can be divided into three sections. Verses one through twelve are about the depth of suffering. Verses thirteen through twenty-eight are about the cry of suffering, and perhaps more importantly, verses twenty-nine through thirty-six are about the praise from suffering. Did you notice how the psalm starts off with just, I mean this cry, I'm about to be swallowed up, and then it goes from this cry of suffering 
from the depth of suffering to this praise in the midst of suffering? I want to close with G. Campbell Morgan. I think he explains it best this way. He says, the whole psalm expresses depths which few of us can fathom. It can only be appreciated as an unveiling of sorrow and suffering at its very profoundest depths, and therefore is rightly considered to be prophetic and messianic. As far as we can enter into its teaching, it suggests to us that a cry to God in sorrow, which is honest in its expression, invariably merges in the economy of His grace into a song of praise. Let me say it this way, lastly. Only God can do that. Only God can bring praise from sorrow and suffering. Sorrow lasts for the night, but joy returns in the morning. You sow in tears, you reap in joy in God's economy. As only God can, He can take the depths of sorrow and suffering. I was sharing with my sister who's here from California for Christmas. We were talking about this, and I was just, you know, telling her that you know, tomorrow's the birthday of our daughter Noel, uh, who went home to be with the Lord. And she was born on December 28th, and she died on May 4th, the following year. So every year uh, on December 28th, we get a little cupcake, put a candle, light it, have her picture. We just basically sing happy birthday to her and thank God that we had her for as long as we had her. And my sister was just talking about how that must have been so painful. And I remember when you guys were going through that. And here's what the Lord, it was just one of those words fitly spoken. I just said to her, you know, the suffering that we experience in this life is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits. It's not even, it would be criminal to try to put them on the same scale, and and weigh them out. <laughs> you cannot. The suffering that we go through in this life, and by the way, and we're going to talk about this a little bit on uh, Sunday in Philippians, Lord willing. But who is the one that suffered more than any of us could ever possibly imagine? Was it not Jesus the Christ on that cross? The suffering servant, the suffering Savior. But was it worth it? There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving Creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. 
Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.